0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester Israel podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm joined this week down the line in isolation by Samuel Luckhurst.
1: Hello, Rich. Good to have you back.
0: Yeah, it seems like a while since we've been on a podcast together. We both sort of had uh, weeks off that conflicted with each other, so might be, might even be about a month since we last uh, spoke properly. Uh, how are you doing, Samuel? Yes, yes, very well. Uh, it's it's good to get out and about at least to uh, to
1: various stadiums, home and away, and there's a there's an element of normality back. It's it's all a little bit surreal, but the the, the football's been, I think it's been okay anyway. At least I still think that the um, the drinks breaks need need scrapping now I think that, that that time has come and gone it that that has been a little bit disruptive but that's it's a very
0: minor thing in the grand scheme of things yeah it sort of had that odd pre-season vibe to it with these uh drinks breaks and I guess it will today, I'm back home in North Wales it is horrible weather outside so there'd be no need for a drinks break if I was playing today well I, I probably would need one because my fitness is at an all-time low which is saying something by my standards but Samuel touched upon part there you've uh, had the pleasure of three games to watch anyway so far for United uh, Brighton away tomorrow but it was carra road at the weekend for United in the FA Cup uh, it was a bit of a gritty one an ugly win but it was kind of Machiavellian in the result sort of justify the means United are into the FA Cup semi-final lots of changes it was gritty ugly but United won that's all that matters
1: it was a pretty flat performance, but it was to be expected with the amount of changes he made. Um, and, and really, the, the, the Solskjaer's comments pre- and post-match were, were just quite... I mean, they were just quite bizarre and that it was put to him, you know, you've made all these changes and he said, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's just one change from, from the last round because Harry's playing and, and Victor isn't and Harry was supposed to play against Derby, but he was ill. And then after the game, it's put to him um, in in, reasonable, in a reasonable way by by the broadcaster, um, the broadcast interviewer for the BBC that, you know, that the amount of changes probably contributed to the flat performance. And he goes, yeah, I suppose... Because you know it was over a hundred days ago that we played Derby, and it's just like well you know everybody I, I know it's it's like it's nobody would report it as there's one change from the uh, the previous round against Derby it was there have been eight changes from the midweek game against Sheffield United that that is always a recipe for disaster. We were talking on on Friday in in, in your absence about how many changes they should make, and you know I mean I even said that you know four or five. Is is kind of a sensible amount. You do, you do need to rest players. You don't need to play everyone. You are coming up against the, the basement club the Premier League, who are pretty much a championship team in, in all but status. But it was almost as if Solskjaer did treat them as a championship team and a championship team like worse than Derby. But Norwich have got something about them. And just, this, just the plethora of changes was so, so counterproductive. I think if you look at it, you think, OK, Romero coming in, I know he made a mistake for the goal, he, he was culpable, but it's logical. Bye is logical. Um, taking Wan-Bissaka out of the team is logical. Putting Dallow in is illogical. He's not been on the bench recently. Brandon Williams has. Uh, Williams played right back against Las Glins in, in March as well. Behind closed doors game, if you want to bring that into it play him ahead of Dallow Dallo was dismal. Uh, Lingard didn't deserve to start, but started um, with the midfield. McTominay and Fred coming in, fair enough. You've got Fernandes. That, that is a trident that should be good enough to see off Norwich. But the biggest problem was what was ahead of them. And it was a front three that was just so lacking in pace. Um, players that were starting for the first time, you know, literally over 100 days in an FA Cup game uh, against a team that were pretty much at, if not full strength, but Norwich's main players were all starting at the weekend. And the players were out of position. You've got Mata on the right wing, he's never a right winger. Lingard, it's, it's difficult to pretty much fix on one position for Lingard because he's just had such a varied career in different positions and he's been so bad for so long and you can make an argument he can play from midfield he can play from the right wing he can play off the striker but nobody would ever say he's a left winger i don't think anybody would really say he can play on the left wing and come the 63rd minute when those three subs were made even though you understand why Solskjaer is doing it, he's looking to freshen up the team, he's bringing on better players. He is, on paper at least, making United a better team by bringing on Williams and Greenwood and Rashford, I think it was. But the scoreline was 1-0. Usually when you make three substitutions, you it signals that the game's over, it's, it's dead. A little bit like when he made five changes against Sheffield United but by making those changes it effectively just disrespected norwich who probably felt affronted by it and lo and behold they went and scored and when they did score it had been coming they'd been threatening that um and so it just made hard work for it i i've just always been of the opinion that in those kind of games against a certain standard of opposition you play you, you don't get too clever with tinkering you don't over over tinker um the team fair enough you're going to rest pogba or rashford or um or de gea there are going to be some big hitters who are left out but don't take it to the extreme and Igalo is a player who you know okay fair enough he started and when he starts he scores he's, he's shown that already he is a reliable uh squad squad rotation player Unfortunately for United, Lingard is not. Um, Mata, most of the time you probably say he is, but given this was his first start in 100 games, he he clearly wasn't reliable because he didn't play well. Dallo definitely isn't. He just, it's it's been a season to forget for him. And it's just amazing how how much that can impact a team's flow. Um, And United were not good. And it wasn't a surprise, I suppose, that the match winner in the end came from... Someone who is absolutely irregular in in Harry Maguire, who probably um, throughout the course of the game was was at his
0: best when he was in the uh, when he was in the Norwich penalty area. I guess like you touched upon there the fact that Maguire is the man who scored it, in itself as well. It, I mean, from United point of view, surely it must be worrying the fact that United's maybe even lack of a plan B. By the end of the game, they had four strikers on, all of them congested into the same part of the pitch, players struggling to get on the ball. It wasn't very uh, creative. It was quite desperate for United when they were searching for that winner. And like you say, it was Maguire who got the goal. Do you think it is concerning the fact that United were in desperate need to get a goal against 10 men? They packed all the players into one position of the pitch. Just, it didn't, it, like I said, it just seemed desperate for me the way that United had to eventually win it. I mean, they did win it, you've got to give them credit for that, but it was very unconvincing. It, it
1: reminded me of the uh, 2004 uh, Cup semi final at Villa Park when United were holding on against Arsenal. And I think Arsenal started that game, it might have been Burkamp and Reyes who started. I think by the end of the game, they had four strikes on the pitch. I think it might have been Burkamp, Reyes, Carl and henry it might field tour might have been one for, for the other or something like that but they literally had four strikes on the end of the game ferguson said afterwards that actually the substitutions Arsenal made made it easier for united because all they did was they they went top heavy and they didn't really have a link uh, or a, a, a dexterous link if you like to to create these chances united held on and they won um I mean, I could see the sense in Marshall coming on and taking by off because Norwich were down to 10 men. You wanted an extra attacker on, but you've you always got to have that link there. And I think Matic actually went, I think he dropped back into defence with Maguire. And that was always the caveat with it, In that Matic can knit things together very well. He's been playing well pretty much all the calendar year you probably want him further up top and of course the goal came about because someone had the uh, perceptiveness to find that pass it was a very clever ball from Pogba there was an element of luck after it Uh, but it just showed that when they kept the ball on the deck when they played it patiently they created chances they were doing pretty well towards the end of regulation time but then come extra time uh, the composure just left certain players nerves kicked in Fernandez who is the man who could, really could do no wrong became the man who could do no right he had a really tough time in extra time uh, but they they found a way in the end I, I was I was pretty convinced as I said at the time I, I wasn't at the game obviously ty was at the game uh, but I said um, to who i was watching it with i I can't see united dot scoring these next 30 minutes but i must admit when maguire had that header that cruel kept out um you know it was a a very good save i did at that point think oh maybe it's written in the stars that cruel is going to be the match winner here again because you know if it went to a penalty shootout you would have fancied norwich even though romero's got a decent record from from spot kicks
0: I always feel robbed watching them when get, when there's a winner that late into extra time. I always think, oh, why <laughs> yeah. you just score? I want the I want the novelty of penalties when it or, gets to penalties. stage
1: ordinarily, so. I think anybody anybody not connected with United would want that scenario. But I think for those covering it, you you just want want it over and done with as soon as possible. So get it, it over, was, get It was in. it was a godsend. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, you mentioned the thick up there. United now into the semi-finals. Uh, Solskjaer joked about it today in his press conference at Chelsea again. He said, "Seem to be playing them every week." Weekend of the three teams left, you could argue that Chelsea, are the team I'd wanted to face the most. I mean, it's Ars- it was either Arsenal, City, or Chelsea. Arsenal, the only team they've not beaten this season.
1: I know they've got a terrible record against Arsenal, Post Venga. I don't think they've actually beaten them. Um, Emery had. Had a win last season, and there was, there was there've been a couple of you know really this error laden draws at Old Trafford, and the game on New Year's Day was was a pretty abject performance as well. Um, I, I wasn't surprised in the slightest that the, the big teams actually got through in the end. I think Leicester just have lost their nerve uh, pre and post lockdown. They've not been on, in good form for quite quite some time. Chelsea look buoyed since they've come back, probably because they've done some good business in the transfer market obviously ZX going to happen Werner's going to happen their squad looks a lot lot stronger um, for next season and that's that's a bit of a flip that they've had especially since they're, they're not going to get anywhere in the Champions League you would think and City going to Newcastle I, I don't think anybody ever expected Newcastle to, to, to get through against City there so it's I mean it. It's good in some ways because I don't think you want a scenario of the 2008 semi finals where it was what Portsmouth, Cardiff, West Brom, and Barnsley. I think uh, y- you want some underdogs in in the reckoning to win the FA Cup, but not too many. I think it's probably too strong for uh, most neutrals' taste. It would have been better if you'd have had Shaft United and Leicester in there. Um, Newcastle there's <laughs> uh, yeah I mean if, if you're Jake Humphrey you might be of that persuasion uh, I think with, with Newcastle there's always been that they always hark on about 1955 I think it would have been a shame if Newcastle had somehow won it in a way in, in, in that they probably
0: to deprive won. the funds yeah.
1: exactly yeah it would have been such a momentous occasion that I think it's in a way it's just as well they haven't won it which doesn't make a lot of sense but I, I suspect Newcastle fans get my drift on that one but it is an extremely uh, competitive final four United should fancy their chances even though um, Chelsea as I say have looked quite look pretty resurgent at the moment I mean I think it said it all that after United dropped points in the league Chelsea actually went and won normally if one of them dropped points the other dropped points uh, but United have beaten Chelsea what three times this season Solskjaer's unbeaten against them as, as United manager um, two of those wins this season were were without came when Rashford either one of Rashford and Pogba um, weren't fit and I think the last one at Stamford Bridge both of them weren't fit so uh, I, th- I think United will probably be down as, as favourites for all that, but it's probably going to be a tougher game than any of the four they've had against Chelsea this season. And certainly on the opening weekend, I thought Chelsea were the better side for the
0: first hour. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's been interesting to see that whole battle this season. Uh, I mean, talking about Chelsea links, um, we had the news today as well in in the Monday press conference. We are recording this um, early Monday afternoon, but uh, Angel Gomez is set to leave United when his contract expires tomorrow, which is Tuesday the 30th of June. That's the last day he's contracted to play for United. What is the latest on? Like Samuel, just to round it up, United did offer him a new deal. He wanted a bigger role, more money, and he's on his way out now.
1: It certainly looks that way. Um, I'd just say, I mean, by the time people have listened to this, maybe he has actually gone, but given the what happened with Fellaini two years ago and Matter a year ago, there's always that chance of an 11th hour agreement. Uh, but I think because of Gomez's status, it, it looks more unlikely than, uh, was the, than was the case with those two. I think I wrote back in September or certainly the first half of the season that his... His representatives were pessimistic about a deal. I was, I was told actually at the time that, um, by, by a source that they didn't think Gomez would sign a new contract. Th- there have been reservations about the direction of United, which feels a strange thing to say when you're dealing with a 19-year-old who's had about three or four starts to
0: his name. Um, I think they've, Ty they've, put it on Twitter. I think his career hes played 65 minutes in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, and in the he's, course of three uh,
1: years, he's not exactly set the world light. I think maybe his most vibrant performances have come against you know coming cameos against uh, Yeovil, and I think from the start against Astana in the Europa League, he, Old Trafford he looked quite good. Um, so there, there are issues about the direction of the club from his part, and also a lack of playing time was another factor, which I completely understand because when you look at what is ahead of him and what United are looking at in the market, i.e. Jack Grealish, James Sancho, Jude Bellingham as three examples, three young British players, three young British players who occupy positions that Gomez could occupy. That That is cause for a player to, to look elsewhere and if he's had his head turned fair enough he might want to go um elsewhere um i mean Nicky bartman a few of us spoke to him in february uh, he he didn't sugarcoat it he, he did refer to it as a contract dispute but he still said united had massive hopes for gomez i, I do think he's been badly advised um I think his brother and his father um, look after him. And there was a video of this. I'm, I'm not li- meaning to disparage his father, but in terms of how agents operate, there is a way that they go about their business. And there was a video of his father. Um, it, it looked like he was recording his own album or something like that, as if this is his job on the side. It's all very bizarre. But just to come just kind of like back that up, I mean, I did a story in fe- February that... Gomez's uh, representatives will be looking to get him a Premier League loan on deadline day. Now, United are never get, would never get a sanction of any kind of loan in January when he hadn't signed a contract and he was out of contract at the end of the season. And also, Gomez was actually in Norwich on deadline day uh, preparing to play for the under-23s. Um, and when I was told that, the person who told me, who works for an agency, said, look, this is what happens when you're not represented in, in the proper way. And there are examples out there of uh, familial recognition Uh, representation of players which have been successful um Mason Greenwood is still looked after his father I believe um he's on an upward curve he's been doing very well he signed his contract early in the season no issues there whatsoever I think with Gomez where there's always been I mean you go back five years or six years ago when he was 15 or 14 um there was hype about him it's he was one of those players who People whose name people knew in their in their early teens, and sometimes that can build up a reputation of a player that is is possibly undeserved. When you've just got to look at what they've done at first team level, um, and and wonder you know why they have this hype about them. But he is a very good player. We've seen that. I can understand why there's hype. I can understand why clubs like Barcelona have looked at him. He's obviously been linked with Chelsea as well. As you said there's every chance he will move to um, a, a, a big club on the continent, I have no idea where, I mean the, these clubs have been looking at him but I think Barcelona a couple of years ago were looking at Callum Gribbin and recently he's been released by Sheffield United so it, it doesn't always, you know, it, it doesn't always go your way um, Tosin Kahin was an example a couple of years ago where his camp were very very keen to ramp up interest in him, it's, it's just the way these things go when a play comes to the end of their contract but more often than not, the player ends at a very underwhelming club that is befitting their, um, their 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 status in the game and, and their stature. So, it, it is a risk if Gomez does decide to leave on a free, but he has. He has cachet about him in that he he was part of that England under seventeen squad that won the World Cup with Foden and Sancho and and Callum Hudson-Doy. He has played for the United first team. Uh, Nanny's cousin, the pitcher with Ronaldo. You know he should get a very good club. If he doesn't get a very good club, then he needs to ask questions of his brother and his father. But from United's view viewpoint, it, it is a shame because he's been at the club since you know he first you know first turned up at Carrington when he was i think he was about he was so small it was at ronaldo's hip height um in that in that picture of of the two of them and he's you know he's, he identifies himself as as a lad from Salford so for them to lose someone who's uh, been in the academy for, for well over 10 years, pretty much, it, it is a shame. But it's not like a Paul Pogba situation in 2012, when at that time you knew United had absolutely dropped the ball and they, they were losing a player who could
0: develop into a world-class talent. Yeah, and of course, with Pogba as well, there's a, there a clear opening in the first team for him to be playing in games exactly with Gomez it's not really worked like that like I said it's a, it's a shame really he must look at the likes of Phil Foden and Jadon Sancho and think how he was ahead of them three years ago and now he's quite far behind them and he's quite far down the pecking order at United as well in terms of youth talent you know he used to be the poster boy for United's youth system and now there's Williams even Chong and Greenwood ahead of him and you've got more players like Ethan Laird's been tipped for a, a call up and so it's Tate and Minge. so yeah, Angel Gomez looks like he's going to leave at be the end of an era, a sad one, but it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of this week, Samuel. It's a big, big week in the race for the top four. We'll talk you through the fixtures quickly here. So tomorrow, Brighton versus United. Wednesday, Everton, Leicester, West Ham, Chelsea. Thursday, Sheffield United, Tottenham. Saturday, Leicester Palace, United, Bournemouth, Wolves, Arsenal, Chelsea, Watford. And then on the weekends well, it's Burnley, Sheffield United, Tottenham, Everton. It seems in a week's time, Samuel, we'll have a very, well, much clearer picture of who's actually in good shape to get into the top 4 at the end of the season but united on this 14 match unbeaten run brighton away bournemouth at home surely they can get to 16 well
1: it's it's a strange one because they're coming up against teams uh poor teams that they've lost against this season um brighton they obviously won but they've i mean the, the two defeats they've had at brighton in recent years have been absolutely abject. I mean, they they really don't want to complete the horror trilogy on that one, but they lost at Bournemouth, they've lost at West Ham, they dropped points at Southampton, they dropped points against Aston Villa. uh, Newcastle as well. Newcastle. (laughs) So it's... um, I mean, obviously they're not coming up against Newcastle between now and the end of the season, but the, the, the teams they are coming up against, the majority of them, they've actually not just dropped points against, but but lost to. And I think it's I think it's some like twenty three points they've dropped against the bottom half team. So that's a huge amount when you factor in if you were to just. If you just dropped half of uh, that many points, United would be in a very, very comfortable position in regards to qualifying for the Champions League next season. I think that the upside now is that they, even though they've got away games, they are pretty much neutral venues. Um, Norwich played pretty commendably at the weekend, but they have now lost three out of three at home since the season restarted. Villa... There's a big thing made about the Villa Park noise, I don't think Villa Park is as hostile an atmosphere as some make out and I think that's an excuse Villa were always going to reach for in terms of the restart and not having their fans uh, about to, to to cheer them on and try and help them stay up. But they've obviously been terrible as well at home. They were lucky not to lose against Sheffield United. Um, they lost against Wolves at the weekend, and I mean it was a one nil defeat, but it wasn't a narrow one nil defeat. They just did not look like much of a threat to Wolves at all um, throughout that game. So that's that's the upside for United. It's it's this running is not really a test of their metal um, in that in that they have they've had for some time this big game now, some small time mentality certainly in the first half of the season under Solskjaer but even if they eradicate that now, between now and the end of the season, it's not really a reliable gauge of of whether they they have actually eradicated it because they're not playing in front of crowds, um, which is you know is good news for them because it means they should they should accrue more points. I think in terms of United playing at home, it's just you know because of the sheer quality they have. I think that's always going to be intimidating for for clubs going there. I mean, West Ham look absolutely atrocious at the moment, and I think if they do stay up, it will only be by virtue of poorer teams going down below them. They they are that bad. I think that was the worst thing about United's defeat at West Ham in September. West Ham were actually bad that day. They lost to a bad West Ham side. Um, Bournemouth were not particularly impressive when when they beat United in November either. So um, United's a much better place to um, eradicate that big game now small time mentality that was certainly a problem in the first half of Solskjaer's season it's not been as much during this unbeaten run but of course there's been a there's been an element of stats padding there and that some of the
0: team
1: some of the teams that they've seen off have been teams like Tranmere or Las Glint or Club Bruges. I mean Tranmere have been relegated to League Two uh, now that the League One season hasn't been completed other than the playoffs. But it's, you know, it's worked in their favour this run in, in that the, the games are behind closed doors, I suppose, in regards
0: to the away games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they all pan out. But for United, it's got to be confident. For you, Samuel, now, as we see it, um, I mean, we've got just over a month left of the season. Uh, do you think United are in a good position to get the top four?
1: if not necessarily the top 4 but to certainly qualify for the Champions League next season it, it is starting and i mean I, I might look daft saying this now but because there are so many routes into the Champions League it's difficult to see a situation where they won't be in it next season i think they've got a very good chance of winning the Europa League um they, they should still, with with the top four, I think Chelsea are probably still, by virtue of the way they've returned uh, since since the season restarted and, and the points difference at the moment, they have to be favourites. I, I still think that might be a bit beyond United, even though Leicester are also catchable there. I, I, I suppose Leicester could do them a favour and drop out of it completely. Mm-hmm. And that might be United's way back into the top four. And then you've got fifth... Possibly being good enough to qualify for the Champions League next season because of the um, uh, the CAS hearing on, on on Manchester City's bill um, against being um, not allowed into the the Champions League next season and, and the season after that. I think even in a best case scenario for City, it, it might just be a it might just be a one year ban. But if that is the case, then that lets the fifth place side into the Champions League next season. But I think the actual Premier League table that's probably. It's probably looking like the unlikeliest route in terms of finishing Mm. in the top four for United to get in there. I think Wolves are a massive threat to them at the moment. Um, I don't think any of us are sorry there aren't any United Wolves games left in this (laughs) running, Uh, although that could happen in... In Germany
0: and so I know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I already
1: really regret saying it. We have to go all the way to Germany for a United Wolves game, and United get knocked out of the quarterfinal stage. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's it's just written now, unfortunately. Um, so at the risk of tempting fate on that one, but certainly domestically they can't uh, meet each other between the end of the season. But certainly that Leicester game on the final on the final weekend that that could obviously be very very key as to uh, what happens with United going forward. And of course because of um, the variables that there are between now and, and mid to late August with with the Europa League competition, it impacts a hell of a lot on the Champions League. Um, sorry, their their transfer budget and yeah. what's happening and even the in targets. terms of yeah and it absolutely as i was just about to come on to um you know so it, it it makes a big difference if you can get in the champions league as soon as possible rather than getting in through the europa league cap flap on august 21st which i think would only really give them effectively a 45 day window uh to sign their elite targets if you like because with, with someone like Jaden sancho i really I really do think that it uh, United signing him or United even going for him is dependent on them being in, in the Champions League next season. I don't think it's the case whatsoever. Jack Grealish, I think he'd just jump at the chance to be at United. I think he want. Well, I know he wants to join United in yeah. the summer. Um, the only issue on that is how much he goes for, and that's of course dependent on whether Villa stay up or or go down. But as, as Oski said, you have to factor so many things into United's budget, ticket revenue, that's going to go down when a fans going to be allowed back in. Um, the Adidas kit deal in terms of Champions League football or no Champions League football, that comes into it. So uh, there are so many ways that there could be tens of millions slashed off United's budget in the summer or... Their budget could be, you know, so healthy that they can just blow clubs out of the water because, in in comparison to other teams, they're in relatively good financial state, which is a strange thing to say after um what the recent account said about the uh, the the debt figure.
0: Yeah, it's got to be very interesting. I said there's so much riding on the Champions League between now and the end of the season, but all comes down to Brighton tomorrow night the <laughs> next trip for United on this Premier League run in and. I well, there's eight changes at the weekend. Samuel, there's got to be plenty of changes again tomorrow night. Social might say it's only one change from the team that Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> you never know. But uh, for Brighton, what type of team would you go for? It's got to be full strength, hasn't it? Particularly with the the break there until the weekend for Bournemouth.
1: I would imagine so. They've they've at least got that benefit of a of a four day gap. I think between the games, they a five day gap between the Spurs and Sheffield United. Matches and I think that did make a difference. Even though Sheffield United, would, I can't remember. Oh no, they did. Of course, Sheffield United played on the Sunday against Newcastle, so United were fresher and they made a few changes. And that was a much easier game than I think most would have would have expected. Um, I mean, the the interesting one, I suppose, is someone like Fernandez, and in that he he did look quite. He looked pretty knackered towards the end of the the Norwich game. I think in, in extra time he did he did struggle. He there were times where he was trying too hard, and then it just he wasn't. Case he was trying too hard, he was just not performing, which is probably the first time you've ever said that about him. Um, so does does he have a rest but the flip side to that is of course he's deemed so essential whatever the competition whatever whoever whatever the opposition is that he probably has to start and the more you look at it the the more you think it's just logical to play the team that played against sheffield united because united did play well in that game um they have a bit of rhythm about them they've they've rested the the vast majority of the starters so um (sighs) it's not just Fernandes I suppose someone like Luke Shaw played 120 minutes uh, he's, he started the last 14 games the last time Luke Shaw didn't start was the last time United actually lost which was against Burnley all the way back in January uh, but I think it would just be completely logical despite the workload on players
0: like Fernandes, Shaw and Maguire at the weekend to just start the team that started against Sheffield United mm, We'll have to wait and see uh, for you Samuel what, what time are you leaving tomorrow? Oh, um, I I think it's probably going to be.
1: It's probably going to be something like half twelve, just to just to factor in that margin for error. Because I'm still, I still have nightmares. I think of that trip I had to Brighton a couple of years ago for that bloody Friday night bank holiday game where it took me I think it took me six hours to get there and well our old colleague Kieran Kelly uh, had the foresight to take the train and and, and stay over and he was there well in good time and I was there frazzled and 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 turned turned away from the car parking space at the grounds I had to I think in the end illegally park at the nearby university on one of their campus so it was a little bit like um, going back to my teenage years or my early 20 years being Campus, but then segueing into professional territory of, uh, of covering a football match. But again, it's, it's 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 a privileged position we're in to be able to, to go to these games and cover them. It's a very small price to pay in terms of traveling a long way. If you're not prepared to to travel a long way, you should be um, you should be
0: letting someone else do it for you. Yeah, and Brighton always a warm welcome. Not been a warm welcome for United in the Premier League. They've never beaten Brighton away in the Premier League. They haven't beaten Brighton away since 1982. Could all change tomorrow night Uh, we'll be back later in the week to see what happened at the Armagh Stadium and we'll look ahead to the weekend game against Bournemouth so safe travels to you Samuel all the best for tomorrow thank you very much we'll have all the live coverage of Brighton versus Manchester United on the Manchester Evening News website of course we'll have our dedicated live blog and we'll have all the reaction from Solskjaer and his players but please do join us again later in the week for the next episode of the Manchester is Red podcast and if you haven't already please do leave a like and subscribe and we will see you again next time.